Till I'm Tiptoed you. Dot com. The podcast about pop culture, black history, and spirituality. Yeah. It's about to be a great vibe. Dr. Tip. Gonna take it away. Till I'm Tiptoed you. Thanks for joining me for another edition of Tell Em Tip Told You. Today, I want to talk about the importance of carving out space for yourself in this world. Uh, it's kind of like an ongoing theme if you've been listening to the podcast. Um, but, you know, I think it's important. So I want to talk about it. So I'm going to talk about what it means to be gentle with yourself, what it means to make decisions for yourself, not based on what other people need, but what you need. Um, I want to hit on um, what's going on in the government with this affirmative action case uh, and what it might mean for those of us who are staunch supporters of HBCUs. I want to talk about the interconnectedness of all things as it relates to that. And then I want to um, talk about some guests who will be coming out on some um, upcoming episodes of Tell Em Tip Told You. So let's just jump right in with being gentle with self. So I invite you to read the blog post from this week where I talked about um, my epiphany that happened on the yoga mat this past week. Uh, it really was a, an epiphany. And I'm, I'm not going to bore you with it because I invite you to read the blog www.tellemtiptoldyou.com. Um, and I know that some of you have already uh, read it. So I just want to talk about that last part where we're laying on the mat and the instructor says to us, forgive yourself for something. And she said it in such a gentle, calm voice. You know how at the end, end, you know, you're in this meditative space and it's nice and cool and the lights are off and you're finally laying still for a change. And it, it was just a really, I forgave myself for being out of shape. And it was an epiphany. Um, but yesterday, uh, about a week later, yesterday, I was in just a purity funk. And I'm going to talk a little bit about what happened, but I was just in a purity funk. A lot of stuff just bubbled up at the same time um, in my personal and professional lives. Things are starting to just come to the head at the same time. And it was a lot. Like yesterday, I felt a lot. Um, but I heard her voice again, forgive yourself for something. And so I had to forgive myself for being in a situation where the shit is coming to the head at the same time. Like a lot of it is based on my own personal decisions. I can't hold other people accountable. Um, and sometimes we forget that when we're angry, we're really angry with ourselves, not with the other person. Um, and so I had to forgive myself last night. I funked around all day. Like I was just in a funk all day yesterday. And it wasn't until I was getting ready to go to bed that, you know, I just kind of faced some things. Um, I think sometimes when we're in that funk, it's because we don't want to go deeper into the feeling. We want to keep super superficial with the feeling. Um, and we try to hide from the funk, but I don't think that works. Like, I think you really have to, um, um, y'all know in the bluest eye where Toni Morrison is writing about the funk that's Mobile, that's my birthplace anyway, that just tied in, that was a side note but anyway um, sometimes you gotta face the funk <laughs> really, you gotta really go deep into it and figure out what it is and I had um, a girlfriend of mine this is why you need a crew, if you're a healer if you're an artist you have to run with a crew of healers and artists because they have to pull you out sometimes, it's real easy to get stuck in that funk 
Um, if you're an empath, if you're a spiritual person, it's really easy to get sucked into the things that we fight against um, if we're not careful. And you got to have people on your side, on your team that'll pull you out. So big up, Nikki. Thank you for checking on me yesterday. Um, I really needed it. And she really reminded me that I needed to face the feeling to stop trying to hide it, but to go deeper into it by writing. Cause you know, that's my thing. I've told you that before. So I did, I spent some time trying to figure out what was going on and I can't, it came to a head a little of it. I'm going to cover today a little, I think not a little, a little I'm covering today. A lot I need to cover in another episode. I'm 43. I am currently not involved in a romantic relationship. I have some suitors. I, I did the, um, the eyelash thing, you couldn't see that. I have some suitors, um, but you know, that's not the same as having somebody. And I, I don't have children. So there's a fear that comes along with that. There's also some anger about some decisions I made personally that kind of put me in this boat. Um, choosing the wrong thing, choosing the wrong people, that kind of stuff. But that's a whole nother episode. Today, I wanted to figure myself for something else. So I'm just going to put it out there. I was, I have been working on a project. I'm not going to get more specific than that. I've been working on a project uh, with some people for about two years now. And that project really could have been finished within the first month or so of the project starting. And I didn't push it. I didn't push it. I didn't push it in the way that I know I can push. I didn't complete it in the way I know I could have completed it um, because I, I wanted other people to do what they said they were going to do. And now two years later, the project looks nothing like something I want to be associated with. And um, I'm hurt about that. I'm hurt because I feel like I've wasted two years of my time. Two years that could have been spent on my own shit, right? <laughs> that I've spent hours and hours on the phone, um, on the road, uh, writing retreats. That kind of gave away what it is, right? Um, all kind of shit like that. And it just, now it don't even look like my original ideas, my my voice. It doesn't look like my voice at all. Um, and I'm, I'm frustrated. But I realized yesterday that I can't be angry with the other people. Like I have to be angry with myself because I allowed that to happen. We have to set boundaries for ourselves. And in this particular instance, I didn't set good boundaries for myself. I allowed... Uh, I allowed the process to pimp and prostitute my 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 ideas um, and my time. Like I have to set better boundaries around my time for my stuff. Uh, my um, dissertation chair. <laughs> we used to laugh about it, but now I'm like, dang! I feel like I need a, a bracelet. That's what would mm -mm do. Uh, because she was really good about, no, I don't meet with students on this particular day. When you come meet with me, you need an agenda so that we're not wasting time and we need deliverables when you leave and, you know, this, this, and this, <clears throat> excuse me. And now that I'm on this side of the game, I realized that what she was doing was protecting her time and she was modeling it in a beautiful way. I have not done that yet because part of me felt like, oh, that's mean. Like, that's me not to be available to people all the time, not to be available to other people's visions all the time. And now, shit, that is no, that's self-preservation. And it's important. And I think, <clears throat> excuse me, I think far too often black women are conditioned out of that. 
Um, I think we are conditioned to give up too much of ourselves and too much of our time. Like I did in this project. I gave up way too much of my time in this project. And obviously too too, too much of my passion because my feelings are hurt. Um, it would have been better used in the service of my own vision. Like everybody that wants to work with you don't share the same vision. I know that's, you know, AAV. Everyone that works with you does not share the same vision. Um, and so you have to be very careful. I remember one of my mentors, Cecilia Bo, said um, to me one time, you have to um, almost manifest your vision before you bring other people in or they'll co-opt it. And that's kind of what happened with this project. And it's not anything like what I thought we were setting out to do. And yesterday I was just in a really, really funk about it. Um, but it was symbolic of something bigger. It was symbolic of this idea that I have not protected my space well. Um, and it kind of came to the head over that situation. But it's not just that one situation. It is Tiffany being frustrated with Tiffany because Tiffany has let other people co-opt her vision. Right. So I have to work on that. I have to work on that. In fact, tell them to told you podcast was never supposed to be. It came out of having podcast ideas with other people that just kind of never manifested. And it came down to do I not do it because other people aren't ready or um, do I do it and and hopefully not alienate people who want to do it together. I mean, it's just, we make decisions all the time based on other people's needs. And I just want to remind us that it's okay to make some decisions based on what you need. Like carve out that space for it to be okay for you to do what you're supposed to do. Now, speaking of doing what you're supposed to do, um, I'm trying to feed myself better in the, in this 30 day reset. Hey, resetters. Um, I hope that my intention is to be a, a better person at the end of the reset, physically, spiritually, mentally, emotionally. <coughs> Excuse me. My sinuses are draining. I'm really sorry. Um, and so one of the things I'm doing, anybody who knows me knows I love music and I listen to music like all the time. But what I'm trying to do now on my commute to and from the office is not a long commute because I live in Bubba Fuck, Georgia, um, is listen to audio books. And so I'm listening to You Are a Badass. What's the whole? Hold on. Let me, let me see the whole title. You Are a Badass, How to Stop Doubting Yourself by Jen Sincero. And it's really, really good. It's about how to, you know, manifest some of the things you want to manifest in your life. And it's one part that I really, really like where she talks about making the decision. And I needed to hear that. Um, she talks about there's a difference between wanting something and making a decision to do something. So she says, you know, you can want to lose weight. <laughs> right. A lot of us in the reset want to lose weight. Um, we want better jobs or we want to start this business or we want to uh, have better budgeting um, habits, you know, that those kinds of things. But she says wanting is just a want. You know, those things are fleeting. They can go away tomorrow. You might not want that. Um, but she says, when you make a decision, then the decision means that you are willing to do what is necessary to make it be right. 
So wanting to lose weight means that, yeah, I would love to be 50 pounds lighter, but making the decision to lose weight is, okay, Tiffany, no, you cannot go buy small cakes twice a week. You just can't do that. If, if you've made the decision to lose weight, making the decision means that you bring everything else to the decision with you. And um, so when I'm uh, saying now that I want to create better boundaries around my time, I am making the decision. I'm not just wanting it. I'm making the decision. So I, I have a, a longstanding I don't go to campus on Fridays principle. Now I'll go if there's a meeting like I got to go this week because it's a back to school type retreat meeting thing. I don't know why they call them retreats. We don't go anywhere. It's a working session, whatever. Um, and that, and that's, it seems to be almost a universal thing that colleges and universities call them retreats. Like we're not smart enough to know that's not really a retreat. But anyway, um, other than, than those mandatory meetings, I am going to be extra sure this year that it's not just in name only, that Fridays are my writing day, period, <laughs> period. I don't care if I don't shower on Fridays. Fridays, I will get up and hit it, right? I do care if I shower. Let me not say that, but I will hit it on Fridays. It's going to be, so if you call me on a Friday, if you want to do something, you better make sure it's after five, six o'clock. Because it's going to be a solid day of writing. I got some things that I need to put out. Um, I'm working on. So I need some accountability partners. So I'm going to tell you what the projects are so you can check on me. One is I have to finish my sample chapter for my book proposal. Uh, that is the academic book. Then I really want to map out the personal book by the end of December. So that requires some writing too. And so the way I envision it is that the academic writing will happen Monday through Friday um, with two hours reserved for academic writing on Friday. And the personal book will kind of fill out wherever I can put it, but especially on Fridays after the academic writing and Saturday and Sunday. So I'm really going to be in writing mode. I need some people to hold me accountable. And I am, I am making the decision to get those projects done. The book proposal sample chapter has to be done by September 15th. That is the day I obligated myself to the publisher. And so I definitely need some help following through on that one. And I'm putting boundaries around my space. I'm not lollygagging on nothing else but that right now. I'm not, I'm not investing in anybody else's vision right now. I am protecting my own. And it still feels very selfish to say that, but I want to get to a place where I don't see it as selfish because I'm doing the, the reason I want to write these books is not a selfish reason. So me getting the book out, me creating the environment where the book can come out is not a selfish thing. And I have to change. I think that's a paradigmatic shift that a lot of black women have to make. It is okay to be selfish when it benefits the whole. I like the way that sounded. I, I'm going to make sure I put that in the book. It's okay to be selfish when it benefits the whole. All right. So I did want to talk about deciding versus wanting. I've done that. The other thing I wanted to talk about was the affirmative action case that Jeff Sessions, um, representing the U.S. government, has filed this affirmative action lawsuit against colleges and universities who make race-based decisions and their admissions policies. Now, if this isn't evidence, like many of us, 
we got called conspiracy theorists when we said, you know, we were going back in time that this this current administration wanted to move us back in time. But I swear, if you're not paying attention, like, you are we connecting the dots yet, y'all? This is really scary. But as someone who is an HBCU supporter, let me tell you what the beauty of this is. HBCUs come from a very particular history, right? Regardless of what your Secretary of Education says, they were not about school choice. They were about this is the option for our students. Now, let me tell you what HBCUs have to do. They have to be viable because there is a time coming, depending on how this lawsuit works, there is a time coming where it will be easy for certain colleges and universities to turn away significant um, populations of minority students. And if that happens, HBCUs need to step into the role that they historically held. The problem is, this is just me, this is my humble opinion. The problem is HBCUs forget their historical mission because they're too busy trying to be mini PWIs and they're trying to operate in the same ways that PWIs operate in. For example, right here on my campus, I can't tell you how frustrated I am when we're trying to create a policy and people are cutting and pasting from other uh, universities in the area. We are not them. We have a different historical context. We have a different social context. We have a different economic context. And I would argue we should have a different political context than some of these other institutions. And we cannot do things the way they do things. Right? I, one of the things Shuja taught me a long time ago, one of my mentors, he taught me that if people, if, if institutions exist for a long time, it is because they are working. Something they are doing is right. Now, when institutions start to cease to exist, it is because something they are doing is not working. Now, we've lost more HBCUs in the last 20 years than we've lost in the last 100. What does that tell us? There are some new things that we are doing that is not in alignment with what we should be doing. And I'm saying HBCUs, if this is not a wake-up call, and we need to be capitalizing on this right now in terms of recruitment, we are safe spaces for students from marginalized populations. Are we advertising that? Or are we too busy trying to look like we are the world on the webpage? Right? This quote-unquote diverse folk. And let me say something about diversity. You can have, FAMU was one of my most diverse experiences ever even if it was predominantly black. See, I have a problem with administration that does not understand that diversity is not always racial. Right? When I went to FAM, I was a small town girl from Georgia. And all of a sudden, I am hanging out with people from the Caribbean, from the continent, from up north, from big cities, from small cities, people who are living in houses with no utilities and people driving brand new luxury cars on, on campus. So we, it was a diverse experience. And I think HBCUs have been chasing a certain kind of diversity, forgetting that their legacy is one of diversity. And so I really want us to protect what we are. Now, that doesn't mean we fall into the rut of, oh, we've always done it this way. No, I'm not saying do that. But I'm saying don't reinvent the wheel. There's a beautiful model in place. We, it, some of the systems can be improved. But let's not forget why we were founded, what purpose we were founded for, and what we're supposed to be doing. 
And that leads me to the next part. I wanted to have a little spiritual component in here. So um, I am working on, I told you about my, both of the book projects have significant relationship to traditional African spirituality. And so I've been reading a lot lately, um, you know, just shoring back up the theory that I haven't sat with in a while. Um, but there is this underlying sameness. I'm not one of those people who thinks every culture on the continent is the same. I'm not dumb like that. Um, but I am a pan-Africanist. So I think that there are, uh, there are rhythms of unity, as Asante and Asante write about. There are rhythms of unity across the continent. And one of the things that unifies the different ways we understand um, spirit is that Africans tend to, and we as diasporic Africans, tend to understand that all things are interconnected. What happens in one space affects what happens in another space. What happens to you as a human, somewhere down the line is eventually going to affect me as another human. Um, and so we care for the world around us, not always in an altruistic way, but sometimes because I don't want that coming back to me. Like, I got to make sure you're okay so I can be okay. That kind of interconnectedness. So at the same time, I'm advocating for HBCUs to capitalize on this lawsuit. I think we have to defend PWIs who want to do right, right? Because those things are interconnected. I said last week that systems oppress us, and therefore we have to have a systematic response to that. That means that all of us cannot be... Now, would I like for all of us to be trained in HBCUs? Hell yes. But all of us cannot be because we need to have systematic experiences. We need people from all kinds of walks of life to fight this stuff. But I just wanted to talk about that interconnectedness of all things. Like All things are related. This is why in traditional African religions that I'm familiar with, because again, I'm not naive enough to think that they are all the same, but in the ones I'm most familiar with, we are as responsible to spirit as spirit is to us. And I think that's one of the, the main differences in how Christianity was presented to me. Um, now, I'm not talking about how it was originally founded, the, the underlying principles, the historic principles. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about how it was presented to me as a child um, and a young adult. I left the church when I was pr probably about 17, 18. Um, but how it was presented to me and how I think it started is fundamentally different. And I think one of the differences that exist is that in traditional African religions, one just can't wait for God to do everything. Like it doesn't work like that. One, you got to care for the God. Now, I'm not talking about the creator, but the deity. One has to, one ha let's go to Egum. That's the easiest thing. It doesn't get people all upset. Your ancestors. You have to care for your ancestors for your, in order for your ancestors to care for you. You got to give them light, right? Literally and figuratively. You got to give them light so, so that they have the energy to uplift you, to do some things for you. And there's, they will do some very real things for you. And quickly, like, um, you know, I remember when I first started learning about uh, Egun work or ancestor work and... 
I thought it was like my godmother will say, uh, this shit ain't magic. It's magical, but it's not magic. But I, I would disagree. I think there's some very, there's some magic in this. Like there are people who know how to work magic, how to manipulate reality. That's a side note. But there is some very real things um, that happen that are miraculous. Here's an example. My father's father, Mose Poe, he was a gentle man. I love granddaddy. He was so calm. Um, now, I understand in his youth, he wasn't quite the same person. But by the time I knew granddaddy, he was calm. He was wise. He didn't talk a lot. But when he said something, you better listen because you could take it to the bank. And... Um, he passed from cancer and I remember I'm a dreamer so I get a lot of messages from spirit through dreams and I remember one night I was asleep and in the dream my grandfather took me in our backyard and at the time our backyard was up against like um a forest. I mean, that's exactly what it was. We butt up against, there are now houses and streets behind us, but when we first moved into that house, it was, it was like woods. And it had been snowing in the dream, and everything was covered in white. And the trees, um, the pine trees had lost their needles. And um, my grandfather asked me what I saw. And I responded, death. And he laughed. I, he was very nasal. So he did the, you know, the laugh. And then he picked up a, a stick and he held it really, really close to my eyes. And there were all these little ants, you know, marching up and down this stick. And he said, baby, don't forget that even in the midst of death, there is life. The phone rang and woke me up. And it was my cousin calling to tell us that he had passed away. And that is the magic of Egun. Like, you can't tell me that granddaddy did not come to prepare me for that. And to remind me that he was going to work with me after, quote unquote, death is present. Right? That's the beauty. These people transcend livingness. That I prefer to think of it like that than dead. They transcend. They've moved beyond a requirement for living. They transcend livingness. <clears throat> and my granddaddy, <clears throat> excuse me, some of my <clears throat> my preferred spiritual modalities, like the bath making, that comes from him. That was what he did. Um, and I never got a chance to sit with him and learn it when he was living. But you best believe when I sit down to make a bath now, like I did, uh, if you are on Instagram, you saw me charging that water with the amethyst and the crystal. Let me tell you, baby, when I got ready to make that bath, granddaddy was right here. So, you know, our ancestors work with us, but that's also because I like for them. Like, I like candles for them. I, I refill the, the glasses on my bovida. I pour libation every morning um, on the ground outside. I pour libation every morning. Um, I'm trying to become more specific in my practice. Like, you know, really... Because I know that's granddaddy's thing. Now when I make baths, I don't pray generally to all my eggs to come help me make this bath. I talk to granddaddy. Right? Because that's the one that's who I know knew how to do it. I have another story related to that. I have to get ready to tell it because I don't want to get emotional. So my grandmother, the one I told you about last week, the aunt. <clears throat> 
um, towards the end of her life, she was having a lot of mini strokes. She had stopped eating and um, her DNR said that she she didn't want a, a feeding tube or anything like that. So I get a call, you know, from I was in Atlanta at the time. She was in Alabama. I was in Atlanta and. Um, wow. <clears throat> I wasn't in Alabama because I was working on my doctorate and I couldn't miss. I felt like I could miss class classes because she had pulled through so many times. I don't know that I took it seriously. I really did. She had pulled through so many times. <clears throat> and I told her she lived to be a hundred. So I just thought she would she would pull through again. And I remember, you know, calling every day and them saying the doctors, the nurses, they don't know how she's still holding on. She hadn't eaten in, you know, X number of days. She's not conscious. Um, all of these things. And then finally, um, my mother called me. I was on campus. I'll never forget it. She called me. I, I left out of the classroom and sat in the, the little kitchenette we had in the Division of Educational Studies at Emory. And um, she said, the nurse says that sometimes when people hold on like this, they're waiting to say goodbye to somebody. And the nurse asked me where my sister was that had been to Africa. Now, my mother only has one sister. So she told the nurse, well, I, we don't have another sister. You know, my sister's here. My brother is here. It's just the three of us. And the lady said, well, who's the one who went to Africa? Because she keeps talking about Tiffany that went to Africa. That's me, right? Um, and every time I would go to the continent, I would bring her a dress back. So I guess she was bragging about that. So um, my mother says that the nurse thinks that she's waiting for you. So I'm going to put the phone up to her ear. And I just want you to, you know, tell her it's okay. So my mother puts the phone up to Nan's ear. And I just tell her thank you. I tell her thank you for taking good care of us. I tell her thank you for uh, being my best friend. When I was at FAM, I talked to my grandmother every day. Like, I called her every day. We talked every day. She was my best friend. And um, I told her it was okay and that she could rest. That she had taken such good care of her family that we could handle it from there on and that she could rest. And then they, then they kind of, you know, took the phone away from her ear. You know, we hung up. I said goodbye. And I don't know that I thought. I just don't know what I thought. I just, you know, I said what I had to say. My mother called back in like less than five minutes later and she said she's gone. And that is the, I mean, and it was ironic. Oh, don't do that. What's ironic is that, what's ironic is that, you know, I'm sorry, I had to pause for a minute to get myself together. What's ironic is that um, in, in my particular uh, uh, spiritual family, we say that your spiritual court, there's like this egun or this ancestor or spirit guy who takes a lead in that court is your main contact. And um, she is that for me. Like that, that everyday phone call I was doing at FAM, 
I, I'm I'm beginning to understand that I still require that every day check in with her, um, in order to 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 be at my optimal self. And so I need to carve out that space. So when you're carving out space for yourself, because of the interconnectedness of all things, you got to make sure you're carving out space to take care of those things around you that nourish you, that protect you, that facilitate your own best self. And that that's not necessarily always spirit. I told you I'm single with no children, so... Other than my dog and my spirits right now, you know, I got friends and I've got family and things like that. But on my day to day, those are the, the things I need to feed to make sure they continue to feed me. It, for you, it may be just making sure you're carving out enough space to spend quality time with your significant other. Not getting so caught up in the grind that you lose this um, the principle that if you invest in these things, they have more energy to invest back into you, even with money, right? I'm trying to change my thinking about money. And part of that is in understanding that I can't have an adversarial relationship with my bills because that sets up an adversarial relationship with money for me. I have to become thankful that I can pay bills, right? I have money to pay bills. That's important. I don't have money to pay all the student loan bills they want at one time, but you know, that's a whole nother story. Uh, but I, I want us to think about as we create these boundaries around um, ourselves to protect our own space and our own energy, that we're also investing in those things that are beyond those boundaries so that those things can invest back into us. All right. We can't lose ourselves in any relationship, but we, we also can't lose um, sight of the fact that how we invest tends to be how we get it back. Right. So let's continue to push that. Um, I just wanted to check in with resetters. So if you are a member of if you follow the blog or you follow us on Facebook, then you may know that some of us are involved in the 30 day reset, trying to just uh, become more consciously aware of some of the things we do and fix it (laughs) and to start trying to live our most ideal lives. And um, that's why I wanted to talk to you about the superior book. I think that's a good reset tool to use to refer to that. Um, the other one is um, to follow uh, hashtag Dr. Swiner, S-W-I-N-E-R, on Instagram. We'll be having her on later on this month to talk to us about the Superwoman Complex. But I just finished Sister Girl's second book, and it is fabulous fabulous. I can't wait for you to hear from her. Um, and we talk more about, um, she's a medical doctor. So I think it's important for us to think about how superwoman complex, right? We overdo it. We overextend, um, in ways that I'm talking about protecting yourself from. She can talk to us about some of the medical consequences of that. Um, and then in a a forthcoming episode, I'm going to have two of my, two of my girlfriends on Nikki and Talia, both of them educators who love black students fiercely. And I want to have them on so we can talk about black education in detail. Now, if you're interested in coming on and talking with me about a particular subject, I invite you to send an email to drtip at teletoldyou.com or um, connect to us on Facebook at teletoldyou.com. 
Um, that's pretty much all I have for today. Like, I'm trying to... So, one of, some of the good feedback I've gotten from you guys is that you want these to be a little bit longer. I am cool with that. But today, I'm just... Like I told you yesterday, I was in a funk, so I didn't get to everything I wanted to get to. So, this week is still a little... It's much less than an hour, uh, but we're going to shoot on extending those things. Hopefully, when we start having conversations with people, we can extend it some more. I have enjoyed speaking with you today, and I want you to have a wonderful, wonderful day. Tell them to told you. Love you. Bye.